Hey, it's your Kali. What's up? Hey, y'all, what's up? You're about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, live music, booty bump and beats, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. Due to the coronavirus, the following show is being produced and broadcast by the Yolokali youth from their homes. So sit back, relax at home, and enjoy the show. In recent times, the political atmosphere and the country as a whole have become more tense and the problems that the country has have become more apparent. This is why 2020 has become a voting emergency. And we as youth need to vote to get the necessary change in this country. With over 4 million people becoming eligible voters, we the youth have the power to vote and let our voices be known in this country, ruled by people who may not see things like we do. On today's show, we will be discussing the youth vote, why it's especially important to vote this year, and the candidates of this year's election. You will also be hearing the voices of some young people who enjoy discussing politics, including some first-time voters, a DACA recipient, and a teen who isn't afraid to speak his mind. Stay tuned in for this amazing show and learn about why you need to vote. Hello, everyone. You're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio broadcasting live from the comfort of our homes. I'm Adrian. I'm Cynthia. And I'm Cecilia. And behind the scenes, we have our beloved producer, Emmanuel Ramirez. Today, we're going to be talking about, you heard it, voting, specifically the youth vote, which we feel is very important in this day and age where we need teens to be more outspoken where a lot of problems are being caused in our country by the leadership roles that we have right now, but that we can change by voicing our opinions and not staying quiet. So I think the perfect way to start off today um, is the requirements in order to vote. Uh, Adrian looked up how to register to vote, and this is primarily for Illinois residents. Um, So Adrian, if you could walk us through the steps to register to vote in Illinois. Yes, of course. Um, So in the first place, you have to be a citizen of the United States. Uh, You have to be a resident of Illinois, of course, and of your election precinct at least 30 days before the next election. You must be 18 years old in order to vote before the next election happens and not be in jail for a felony conviction. But if your sentence is done, you can vote. And you can't claim the right to vote any in any other state. Um, and if I am not mistaken, uh, when you are 17, usually in high schools around the city, they do help register to vote. So if you have that opportunity, please do so. Register early. So by the time voting comes around, you have the power to go and vote. And I don't know if you guys want to go into our Vox Pop um, where we talk to some teens about voting and what they thought about it. I think that'd be great. 
So can I start by getting your name and your age? My name is Oscar Rivas and I am 18 years old. My name is Ruben Rojas and I'm 18 years old. My name is Fernando Gallegos and I'm 18 years old. And how important do you think it is for the younger generation to vote? I feel like it, it can be important. For me personally, I don't think it's a massive deal. I'd say on a scale from 1 to 10, it's an 8. I think it's pretty important just because, you know, the younger generations are the ones that are coming up to, like, they're going to be a big influence in, the, in, like, the country and their decision-making in the upcoming years. Just because, you know, the older generation, they, they really don't have those capabilities anymore. And why do you think a lot of young adults decide not to go vote or register? Honestly, I would say it's mainly two reasons. One, I mean, they're young, right? So they're just lazy and they don't think like politics are important. Or two, they really don't know enough about politics just to go out and vote. Like, they don't think that there's a big need to go vote if they really don't know what they're voting for. I think they decide not to vote because they think of it as like a... Uh... Like, they're just one person. Their vote won't really make a change who gets elected. I feel like because they're lazy, in all honesty, I feel like a lot of people don't even bother with that stuff just because they think it's too difficult of a process or something that they don't want to deal with. It's easier to, to just not do it at all than to do any kind of work. What are some problems that the younger generation faces when voting or registering? I registered to vote and I didn't face any problems there. Um, I still haven't voted yet, so I really couldn't can't tell you much of that. But uh, if I was to give like an opinion on what they face, the like, problems they face, for registering, I would just say like, you know, just comparing their age or something like that. You end up out like as long as you have verification about yourself, I think you wouldn't find an issue on that. I think maybe some problems would be not really understanding like all the different viewpoints of candidates when it comes to voting as well as i think a big problem too is that like some people like i said that i feel like a lot of uh, younger people don't really take the time to educate themselves i feel like some people really do and so you'll take it really seriously but i feel like some like older people don't take the words of younger people as serious because of like less life experience or whatever but i think that's like a, a stigma with younger people when it comes to voting i think a lot of younger people have to deal with that even though some really do genuinely take the time to educate themselves and to learn more about like the candidates and politics and the stuff that they believe in do you plan to vote in the following elections yes of course i plan to vote i'm not registered i feel like maybe i should i, I kind of would like to Uh, so that was our Vox Pop, uh, where we talked to a couple of teens about voting and whether they were going to vote and what they thought about the process of voting and registering to vote in itself. I just have a quick question. Adrian, are you registered to vote? No, not yet. I had my civics class before I turned 17, so I couldn't go and register. But I do plan to register to vote before this next upcoming election. Well, you know, yes. as long as it's in your mind to register and vote, because as we heard and as we all know, this year is very important. Yes. Um, Cecilia, are you registered to vote? 
Yes, I am. This would be my second time voting. I am 19. That's great. I love that. It's like important. And I feel like your first time is, you know, your first time doing anything. It's a new experience. And I feel like everyone should be happy for their first time to vote because it really is, you know, I think it's a memory that you hold on to. Like, oh, yeah, I remember the first time I voted. I was in X, Y place, you know. So I'm glad that you're registered, Adrian. You're obviously going to register. Yes. But how do we feel about people that kind of complain about our elected officials, but then also believe that their vote doesn't matter? You know, I think a lot of the times we are misinformed and it's we don't realize how much it takes for us, like on our parts, as in, like individually, to really get out there and educate ourselves. Like it's really a matter of you willingly going and learning and you know absorbing as much as you can we can't always expect for you know political advocates to feed us the information sometimes we have to search for it ourselves yeah i feel like we like we as an individual can still make a change and people don't really realize that our voice our vote does matter and you really shouldn't complain if you don't go vote or you don't voice your opinion because you have the option to we have freedom of speech we can voice our opinions and if you really don't choose that you don't choose to use your voice then that's kind of on you not on anyone else what do you guys think so i know that i had the opportunity my junior year of high school to interview pritzker if uh when he was running and I asked him what he thought about bringing down the voting age to 16. Because if we think about it, you know, we can drive a car at the age of 16, not to mention driving car accidents are one of the leading causes of death in America. So how is it that we can't vote when we're 16, but, and we have to wait until we're 18, but we can drive a car, which can really be like our culminating moment at any given time. Yeah, I think 16 would be fine to vote. 17, even like I had mentioned, at 17, you're allowed to register to vote. So I think, you know, if they say 17 is too young, 18 is fine. Okay, let's work in the middle. Let's just make it 17. Um, You know, same thing. I think it kind of ties in with, you know, the whole debate on I can register to fight for this country at 18, but I can't buy a drink until I'm 21. You know, and it, I think it just, everyone thinks differently, but I, I do agree with you on that. I believe the voting age should at least be 17. You know, Absolutely. like I said, some people might think 16 is too young, but like you said, they're 16 year olds driving. So maybe driving is a bigger responsibility to be out in the street, you know? Not to mention that, you know, the, I think in previous years, you know, historically speaking, we've really taking a a look at youth with a negative connotation. And, you know, now we have so many more surfaces, platforms to explore and really learn about things, so many things. And, you know, one of those is, you know, political education, you know, political science, whatever your route is, advocacy, public health, etc. And we can't help but, you know, accept the fact that the youth are so caught up maybe even more caught up than many adults that I know personally. It's like, I know 13 year olds that 
know so much that I didn't know, you know, growing up. I didn't have social media until I was probably 15 or 16. And ironically enough, it was because of this job, <laughs> this internship. So, you know, just to think about that, I think we really are advancing and we have to stray apart from that negative connotation with, you know, youth and adolescence. So I think that also feeds in like those stigmas in regards to age. Yeah, I mean, just in these like past few years, I have seen younger people voicing their opinions more often, not just necessarily in the U.S., like across the world. Social media does make it a lot easier for us to give our own opinions and share across hundreds, thousands, millions of people because so many people can see it. And we can give them our opinions and I feel like a lot of teens, a lot of young people have been taking advantage of that. And they've been voicing their opinion a lot more. You know, it's frustrating at times. It's just, just how I can think that I know that my mom is probably <laughs> one of the most politically educated people that I know. And she's, you know, she's really, I admire her so much. Um, growing up, she was really a role model for me, you know, not just because she was my mother, but because of, you know, the political activism she showed and portrayed to me. Um, and how I lived through that. Um, but, you know, being a resident, she's not allowed or given a political voice. She's not validated in a sense in, you know, this country. And I don't know, how do you guys feel about that? Do you guys think residents should be able to vote? I believe so. I, I would say that permanent residents definitely should have um, the ability to vote. You know, maybe to agree with other people, maybe say, I don't know, for three years after they've been permanent residents, okay, now you have the ability to vote, you know? Um, because myself, I also know people who are permanent residents who've been here for plenty of years, who pay taxes, who do all of this, um, and they're not allowed to vote. So then I think that ties into why should we as a youth vote? Um, you know, I think it's very important when you go to the voting sites, you know, when I'm voting, I'm thinking of all my family members who don't have the right I'm exercising my right on their behalf, but as well as, as like tying in with that, I'm voting because four years from now, those elected officials, all of their decisions affect me because I will be going into the workforce. I will be, you know, so I'm voting to enforce my right, but also for my future because we are the future. The youth is the future. Um, and as important as it is for the older generations to vote, I would say they're not affected as the youth is, because like I said, that's our future. Those are the elected officials that will be leading us. But more so, we should be the ones leading the votes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like as time has passed, the youth has been more inclined to vote. I feel like from previous years to more recent elections, uh, the amount of teens and young people who have the ability to vote have gone to the polls to vote and voice their opinions. I don't know if you guys feel the same, like if you've seen more young people start to head to the polls. Definitely. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, well, I can... Um, the next thing that I was going to talk about is, um, not sure if I have really kind of said it, but I, 
am obviously a part of this program, but I go to school out of state. Um, I go to school in a city in Iowa. It's very small. Um, and like you said, the difference in voting and youth voting, it's very different when you're out of state. So, for example, myself, my freshman year, which was fall 2018, I could finally vote and I was super excited. But then going to school out of state, I was kind of in the middle of do I become a living resident for the state in which I attend school and vote for Iowa or do I do an absentee ballot, which is voting through mail and vote for Illinois? So not sure if everyone knows, but Iowa is a predominantly red state um, versus Illinois is very, very blue. Um, in which case I decided to register to vote in Iowa because like I said, everything that happens in Iowa affects me directly because I live there. I live there from August to May, basically. Um, but I also have a lot of friends who do absentee ballots. Um, and the absentee ballots, in order to do an absentee ballot, you need to give your state a legitimate reason for why you will be voting through mail. In this case, obviously, they go to school out of state. But I was doing a bit of research, and I found out that states that require voters to provide an excuse for voting absentee had some of the lowest alternative voting rates in the country. And that's from the census website. But as well as finding that on the website, I found that three states, only three states, have all voting, all male voting systems. That's Washington, Oregon, and Colorado. That's three states. What about the other 47? You know, thinking about the time that we are now with the coronavirus, what is going to happen next? You know, how do we navigate this? And then with everything happening with USPS, if I'm not mistaken, they're running out of funds. They've closed multiple facilities. You know, um, their positions, some people are, don't have jobs. So will the option to vote by mail even be a possibility this November? You know, it's there's a lot of uncertainty. And if USPS is gone, what happens to those votes that would have gone through mail? And with that, I, you know, I found a lot of things online as well. If you guys would like to try and save USPS, you could text USPS to 50409. And it's a bot that will help you send a letter to your representative. And I don't know about you guys, but I use USPS a lot. <laughs> I love ordering things online, all of my mail. So I feel like saving USPS is very important. Yeah, I mean, especially right now during the pandemic, I feel like most of us have gone, you know, we've transitioned into online shopping. I know that, um, you know, working at UPS, uh, it's like holiday season, you know, I wouldn't dismiss the idea that it's going to be like holiday season a year round, you know, until we really find a way to stabilize the situation with COVID-19. But yeah, I mean, it's, there's definitely a higher demand and, you know, the lack of funds is really concerning. I mean, there's not only that, but people send documents and all that kind of stuff through USPS. So it, it would make sense to, you know, give more funding to them rather than let letting USPS kind of fall. I mean, so many people use it. 
it's a valuable resource for the entire country. So why, why let it fall? Yeah, I texted the bot. It was super easy, super fast. So I really, if you could do it and you have your phone available, do it. There's also an Instagram page dedicated to save USPS. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's very important because let's say I, I'm scared still in November to really go out and be around people and I want to vote by mail. But now I can't because we have no mail. My vote liter literally does not count because I won't have a vote to give. So, you know, just we have to come together as well as we are with voting to try and save USPS. And do you think you could give us that number again? Yes. Um, you can text USPS to 50409. Count every political voice, guys. We really need this. We really need to move forward as a country. And if you don't like the current uh, situation that we are in, if you don't like any like political executive decisions that have been occurring, this is your time to shine. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of voting and the ballot, why don't we talk about, you know, who's on the ballot right now and what we think about them? and just kind of like everything that's going on right now in politics. Um, I just have a name to throw out there, a name and with a question mark, um, Kanye West. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember, what was it? I think 2016 elections, he said he was going to run it. And then, boom, all of a sudden, again, he's saying he's going to run. I don't know, it's just crazy. You know, when I first, you know, I remember waking up and then the headline was Kanye 2020 on Twitter. And I was just like, I knew it. I wasn't surprised, you know, surprisingly. <laughs> and I can't, I can't say that, well, I guess I should put this out first. Um, I don't agree with anything he's been saying at all, um, especially comments on slavery and Harriet Tubman. However, I also think that the media is sort of mocking mental disorders. He is bipolar. And I think that doesn't help either. So, you know, are we really being progressive? Are we really taking our political voice and our awareness on issues such as mental health in a mature sense uh, or manner? What do you guys think about that? I definitely agree. I, you know, like you said in 2016, I was like, no, he's not gonna do it, you know? And then, like you said, 2020 headlines are uh, Kanye's running for president. And I was like, mm, are you guys sure? <laughs> like, actually, though, <laughs> I just wasn't <laughs> sure. Like, I don't know. You know how sometimes headlines are like deceiving or it's Big news. Headline. <laughs> yeah, that it's like the clickbait for you to read the whole article. But definitely, like you mentioned, you know, I heard Kim put out a statement and, you know, it was asking for space. And I really do believe that the media should, you know, understand what he's going through, understand really what bipolar is. Um, you know, like Kim said, these episodes could last days. They could last yes. weeks. Um, so I think, like you mentioned, there should definitely be a little bit more of an understanding. Um, Twitter's definitely Kanye's diary, though. So, <laughs> yes, you know. I would say that, you know, perhaps the entertainment industry specifically 
uh, and this isn't to stray off the topic of youth voting, but I would say the film industry, entertainment industry, is partially responsible for the portrayal of mental disorders. I, I can't help but think back to 13 Reasons Why. I think it did open up a discussion to some extent, but it also failed in so many ways to really spread awareness on mental health. And one of those um, examples was one of the characters was bipolar. Uh, episodes of Mania, or Mania, sorry, um, can really take up to a couple of days, as you've mentioned, to escalate. So we should really take that into consideration. And that also, you know, takes us back to, are we genuinely considering who we are voting for, who we're deciding to choose to lead this country, you know, this upcoming year? Yeah, and I think that ties into, you know, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Kanye is already on some ballots in some states. But what happens if you vote for Kanye? You know, voting for Kanye, if you have seen, and for those who have not seen, on social media, a lot of people are saying a vote for Kanye is a vote for Trump. Why? Voting for Kanye, you split the vote that would go, if I'm not mistaken, for Biden. Therefore, you're splitting Biden's votes. So if a vote would go for Biden, it's not going for Kanye. Um, giving both of them kind of a disadvantage, leaving Trump to win, if that makes any sense. I don't know if you guys would like to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it does make sense because I feel like a lot of people before Kanye decided to run, a lot of people were like, oh, I have to choose between Trump or I have to choose Biden. And a lot of people, you know, Democratic supporters were going to vote for Biden. But as soon as Kanye announced his presidency, a lot of people were like, oh, I'm going to vote for Kanye, either because, you know, they felt he was a better choice or because some people wanted to do it just because it seemed like fun or like as a joke. But yeah, they're, they are going to split the vote. If you're going to vote for Biden, vote for Biden. Don't vote for, you know, for Kanye. Because yeah. in a sense, you're letting Trump win the election once more. Yeah. So with that, I think we should go into, you know, who is on the ballot then. Um, if my research is correct, I found four political parties. Um, Republican Party, of course. Trump will be running for president with Mike Pence as his vice president. The Democratic Party is Joe Biden for president. And if I'm not mistaken, um, the vice president is to be determined. Libertarian Party, which I had not heard of before, but we will be speaking about later on the show. So stay tuned. Um, will be Joe, Joe Jorgensen for president and Spike Cohen for vice president. And Green Party, Howie Hawkins for president and Angela Walker for vice president. How do you guys feel about this? Are you excited to for November to see what the ballots look like? Thoughts? Yes, like what is this Green Party? <laughs> I, you know, as I mentioned, I didn't even know what a Libertarian Party was until a couple days ago. So, you know, it's always fun to learn and educate yourself a little a little bit more. Um, and you know, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this election and the turnout in general is going to be very surprising. I don't know. I feel like people have been more outspoken this year. 
And this election is going to be, you know, I think it's going to be a good year. Hopefully. We, we really, as a youth, do need to do our part. Um, and I think that we are taking some time to reconsider, you know, life in general. I mean, this pandemic has really impacted each and every one of us in, our own, in very unique ways and uh, personal ways. So for those who say, you know, oh, it's just, you know, another election, it's just going to be rigged once again, we can still try and do our best to change that. It, there's no hurt with trying. And as many years as it has to take, we will keep on fighting. I know I will. I'll continue persisting. So let's get to it, man. Yeah. And now I think we, we can take a quick break and we'll be right back in a bit. Hey, it's Mede. How are we doing during this quarantine? How are we all feeling? Just want to check up on everyone. Has everyone been washing their hands, keeping themselves clean, and not going outside too much? I just wanted to give you all a friendly reminder that we need to keep ourselves healthy, safe inside of our homes as much as possible, and try to wash your hands often, like we should. Some steps you can follow to wash your hands are to first rinse your hands with water and add hand soap or alcohol-based rub. Then wash your palms. Second, wash the back of your hands. Third, scrub in between your fingers. After, move on to your fingertips. Lastly, do not forget to scrub your entire thumb to make sure you're washing your hands long enough. You can sing that one song that we all sing in birthday parties. The happy birthday song, two times. Please go out only if you truly have to, like for groceries, pharmacy runs, or other necessities or emergencies. Do not go out with groups of people or to crowded spaces. Keep yourself distant. Although we are limited to go outside, you can still take your pets for walks or sit outside by yourself. So please do your part and try to have fun. Most importantly, do not forget, not to, smile. forget to smile. We are WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from the comfort of our homes. And this is What's Up, Youth Voting, a 2020 Emergency. Okay, so I think we should go back to, you know, young voter turnout in the past election. So for 18 to 29-year-olds, voter... Turnout went from 20% in 2014 to 36% in 2018. I mean, I'd say that's a big increase in people. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, oh, you can go ahead. No, I was just going to comment. You know, this is my age group. I believe this is your age group too, right, Adrian? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so definitely, I know at UIC, um, which is my school, they've been doing a great job at providing, you know, polls there early voting and you know we've all just really taken advantage of that most of us i know for a fact um we are predominantly you know a leftist liberal i would say in on the uic campus which is one of the most uh, diverse universities in the u.s so i'm lucky to say that but i would say that i don't know like do all colleges do that what do you think i feel like a lot of colleges do i don't know about cynthia's school if they do like um like poll or like let's go to the polls do they cynthia 
Yeah, so my freshman year, it was very interesting. They actually had shuttles taking us to the polling sites, which honestly, if it wasn't for the shuttles, I'm not sure I would have gone out and voted. I registered to vote on campus, which is super easy, super fast. Take advantage of that if your campus Mm -hmm. has that. But as well as shuttles, kind of, um, you know, get informed. But if they don't have shuttles, find a friend, find a buddy, you know, um, and share that experience of that one time we went to vote. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And next up, we have, you know, uh, this great, you know, um, statistic for Hispanics. Among Hispanics, vote, voter turnout increased by 13%, 13 percentage points, a 50% increase in Hispanic voter turnout. I mean, I think that's amazing. I mean, we live in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And the fact that people are taking this initiative to go and vote more than in previous years is amazing. I think that's good progress on our part. Yes, as brown people, we got to step it up. We got to, you know, emphasize that we are here and that we do count. So I feel proud about this. Yes, we have to let our voices be known And I mean, not only that, but we also have to vote for the people who can't vote in our communities. I think that's one of the most important things. That's a big recurring theme. Yeah, because I feel like in families, there are a lot of mixed status families. So you have to vote for the people in your family who can't vote. You have to be their voice. Definitely. And I mean, we don't just have residents. We have undocumented um, students, you know, DACA recipients and so on. And it's just, we, it's something that's so relevant to us as Hispanics and Latinos. And, you know, with Hispanic women, they voted at higher rates than Hispanic men, with 2018 voter turnout rates of 43% and 37%, respectively. I mean, I think just women are definitely stepping up more than men. <laughs> that's, that's for sure from the statistics. But even then, we do need to make a bit more progress to, you know, let more people have their voices be known. I don't know. I think it just, we need to convince more people to go ahead and voice their opinions. Yes. And that brings us next up to something really interesting. And, um, you know, that we've already mentioned, sort of. Um, Do you want to take it away, Cynthia? Yeah. So I did a testimonial with a DACA recipient, and we will play that next. My name is Ruben Bautista. I am 20 years old. No, I, I am not allowed to vote because I am DACA. I am undocumented. I'm not allowed to vote. I do believe it's like really important because I spent like most of my life here, but because I was born in a different country, I'm, I'm simply not allowed to vote and my voice cannot be heard compared to other people. I could be here for 80 years, but if I don't, since I was not born here, like my voice is not going to be able to be heard. And I feel like it's important because I was born in Mexico and I don't know nothing about Mexico. Like, I feel like I belong in the U.S., but since I was not born here, it's not possible. I believe every vote counts. For the people that do have the voice and have the power to vote, I feel like take advantage of it. I wish I could be sharing my opinions and voting for the person that I feel like will do good for the country, it's not possible. So I feel like if you have the power to do it, take advantage. They say, oh, well, maybe one vote doesn't matter. It does matter. So it is important to share your opinion and why it matters and why you believe in a certain candidate. 
take advantage of what other people cannot do. So that was a testimonial from one of my good friends, Ruben Bautista, current Arrupe graduate, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, so he's one of the people that I learned really what DACA did for. Um, I went with him to high school and, you know, he's always very open to speaking about this. But now I want to start a conversation with Carlos, one of our beloved co-workers, a host of We The People from last week. He's an artist and he's here to discuss with us his journey of becoming a U.S. citizen. Hi, Carlos. Hola a todos. ¿Cómo están? Hi, hi, hi. Hey, Thank you for bringing me hey, back Carlos. in here. A quick shout out to my best friends, Marissa and Tito, who are listening to all of us in this beautiful program from Vegas. You guys are amazing. Thank you for the support. Okay, Vegas. Yes. But I'll see you. Thank you for having me over. I'm, I'm ready for this conversation, y'all. Yes. Okay, so quick question. What what do you feel about what my friend Ruben had to say? You know, I connect with him in some aspects just because I have been a permanent resident for the longest time up until just two years ago when I became a citizen. So with that, with being a permanent resident, I had to be here in the States and participate in the States, be about the States. So I never really had anything to do politically with Mexico. And I was always there constantly every summer, but I never took any action into learning more and to really diving deep. And of course, we all hear what goes on in Mexico. One region goes to another region. You know, this whole organized crime thing is like a never ending wave. And there's so much that I know that I'm also very ignorant about that I would feel powerless. I just feel like, okay, I mean, I know, I know what's going on, but I can't vote. I don't really have you know, the power to do that there, just simply because I had that restriction of being a permanent resident and I had to be here in the States. You know, for those who don't know, when you do have a permanent residency, the U.S. is like, okay, well, you're going to live here. You know, you want to live here. This is where you got to be. And if I would go to Mexico or anywhere else for more than six months, then the U.S. is going to be like, well, bye. No, no, no. You don't want to be here then. You don't want to be a part of this country. You don't want to be a part of this nation and part of of being an actual part of everything. So I connect with him in some aspects, not so much of, I, I don't feel like I'm from here or from there. I love the duality of being raised in both places, but I'm always gonna be grateful that I got to Pilsen right away in a street that was filled of people from mi pueblo. So nunca sentí that, you know, separation that a lot of people go through and find that trouble to connect with both countries but that's just my case you know i'm super 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 grateful that that's that's how things played out and i'm grateful that now i'm also a citizen of this country and this year y'all will be my first year that i can vote that's so exciting that's you know i think that ties in with the vox pop from earlier perfectly um you're a first-time voter, but not necessarily in the aspect of, OMG, I just turned 18, I get to vote. No. So, you know, you're a first-time voter in the aspect of, OMG, I'm a citizen now. You know, after so many years, after, you know, seeing so many elections go by and, you know, maybe with the thought in your mind of, I wish I could vote. Like you said, I live here. I have to live here. And I can't vote. Um, So when... Just 
walk us through your feelings you know how did you feel when you finally became a citizen i know it's a you know it's a great time it's definitely something to celebrate so if you could you know give us some feelings of how you were feeling what was going on through your mind Ay, pues, ¿qué les digo? So many feelings, so, so many mixed emotions. I, you know, I, do, I turn 18 and you get that, like, note from Selective Services. O no sé de cómo se llama. Que, okay, you're 18, you know, give us your info, because, you know, just in case there's a war, you can be drafted. But, just an FYI, you can't vote. So, you know, that was my first, like, instance of being, oye, pero, ¿qué onda? What's going on? Why? Why can't I vote but i can go to war just you know in case it happens so that was my first instance of being very confused of what was going on with my reality here and once the current president became president i was extremely conflicted you know i was still not a, a citizen myself i only became a citizen two years ago well it will be two years ago this november and that was all because my parents you know they said hey we'll pay for the application money because mind y'all, you know, and the application is one thing that's over 800 bucks and there's no guarantee uh -huh. that everything will go through. Exactly. And so I'm grateful that I did it here in Indiana where, where I'm staying just two hours outside of Chicago. So the process of getting all the paperwork done was much easier, but it was also just so, I don't know, y'all. I felt awkward. I felt weird just because, okay, now Trump had already been in presidency and it had been over a year and a half and everything was just crumbling down in so many ways. And I, I didn't feel, honestly, secure. I, I asked myself, do I really want to be an American citizen now with everything that is going on? And you know what? Yes. Yes. Because I want to be a voice because I want to use my voice, because I've been here for most of my life and I am part of this country. Like, undoubtedly, it is part of me. So I have to do what I can. Like you said, Cynthia, you know, I'm not 18 anymore. I just turned 25. So me siento un poco viejo being my first time, like, voting. You're still young. It's okay. <laughs> but it feels good. It feels good to, you know, walk through all that awkwardness that has been happening politically and just all this strange energy that's been going on in the states for the last three and a half years and now finally being able to say okay now i can vote i can actually finally do it which i'm grateful that the day that i did become a citizen they signed me up right away to register to vote i thought it was perfect i was like all right That's right amazing. on let's do it but ahora viene lo más importante come november 2. that is the aspect that i'm really waiting for i'm very excited to be able to vote for who I want to because you know in 2016 I had no power to do that I had no power to say okay this is who I want to vote for you know even in my county I even this and that I couldn't I, I couldn't really participate and now I can now I am an American citizen I am Mexicano I am queer and I am ready to vote <laughs> yes I love that yes, yes. I'm so um, ready to vote y'all but I think you did a great thing of like kind of taking us back in time. Not sure if it was intentional or not, but you know, I myself, I for 2016, I couldn't vote. I was, I had just turned 17. And, you know, I think it's such a pivotal point in history that's like when you think about the day after the elections, after we found out who would be in office, um, I don't know if this is for everyone, but I can 
picture myself back in school. Like, there was such... The atmosphere didn't feel like school. Everyone was there because it was a regular school day. The teachers weren't teaching. The teachers were telling us, we are here for you for whatever you need. Um, you know, and like you you said, it, it was like, do I even want to be here? Like, I remember jokingly texting my mom, like... Um, ya empiezan ya nos vamos para México, like, you know, and my mom was like, sí, ya vámonos, but, you know, it was such a different and difficult time that, like you said, I was like, do I even want to vote when I get the chance? Does my vote even matter? But it does, and, you know, November is right around the corner, and, you know, even like Ruben said, he he wishes he could vote for a specific candidate that could do good for the country, and, now now you can exactly you know, right specifically now you can carlos i want i do want to ask you something you know um with you knowing you know deep in your heart that you finally obtained you know this fulfillment in america you know many would argue that you know the american dream is you know something to be dismantled because it doesn't apply to brown people it doesn't apply to people of color queer people etc minorities what would you say, how would you say your American dream, your American dream has played out? Well, hey, with saying that, you know, we've never been included, the queers, the browns, but guess what? The brown people have been here, the queer people, we have been here. So yes, now we're going to continue vocalizing and using our power to be a part of all of this. Y honestly, así me siento. I feel empowered, especially in this year, because with how Cynthia was saying, and y'all have been mentioning, you know, back when 26 was running around, I couldn't vote and I was around a lot of people who could vote and they told me that they didn't vote. Ya sea porque they didn't want Trump because they didn't want to see a woman in office. So many bizarre explanations and I felt powerless. Like, yo, really? Like you really chose to not use your voice? And yeah, I mean, that does end up playing out to the whole country and the things that have been happening to all of our communities, brown and queer communities, have been a result of what has happened. So you know what? I my dream now is more alive than ever. For the longest time, I feel like I didn't have a dream. It was a nightmare that I couldn't wake up from. I was like, yeah, yeah, por favor, ya no quiero estar aquí. But now it's like, all right, you defeated the demon. And now the light is here, boo, wake up, vote. And that's that's honestly how I feel now because I, I completely feel you that a lot of people feel like that, yes, the American dream is dead and we can have a whole like radio show on that. But for me, my American dream, my dream as a human, period, is so alive and so ready to keep, you know, our communities striving forward. I'm here and I'm not going anywhere, y'all. Yes. Yes. Thank you so, so much, Carlos. And you mentioned something that leads us right into our next thing. You mentioned how you couldn't even vote in your county, right? So exactly. being a permanent resident for so many years, you can't even vote for the local government, the things that affect you directly. Um, so who are the people that you can vote for that, as I mentioned, affect you directly? We can start off one of the positions that affects your wards. I'm not sure if everyone is divided into wards, but that's an alderman or older person. Um, an alderman is typically in office for four years. Um, not only do they represent their ward, but they also form a part of the city council. The job can range from being a part-time job to a full-time job. And really just about anyone can run for alderman, obviously like criminal records and all of that. 
you know, the nitty gritty. Um, what does their office do? So in their office, um, I remember, you know, Munoz was in office for so long here in the 22nd Ward. So I remember walking it to Munoz's office because my mom would get permits for yard sales. So they give permits for yard sales, but they also give permits for things like block parties. Um, of course, we're not having block parties right now. Please do not Please have don't. block parties. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't do it. You, you know, like the TikTok, don't do it, girl. Don't. <laughs> and the aldermen are the people um, that others go to when they wish to petition for things. Things such as stop signs or traffic circles, which my block will shortly be getting a traffic circle. So we'll see how that goes. Um. Would anyone like to tell tell us what a mayor does? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I can do that. Um, well, same as an alderman, they do serve four years. And as a mayor, they oversee the main departments of the city, like the police department, the fire department, the education, housing, and transportation. And they are the head of the city for ceremonial purposes and anything that has to do with military law. And they have to prepare for the annual budget. And here in Chicago, our mayor is Lori Lightfoot, currently. And our governor, their term is also four years. They are responsible for implementing state laws and overseeing the operation of the state executive branch. They advance and pursue new and revised policies and programs. They are the chief executive officer of the state they appoint judges, some state offices, and fill vacant U.S. Senate seats. And our Illinois governor is J.B. Pritzker. Um, I just want to butt in really quick. You know, I've Lori and Pritzker have received so much backlash over the past couple months. Um, I think it started with all of the choosing to shut down and, you know, dividing it into phases and people... It was so much backlash lately. But, you know, I feel like with the coronavirus, I feel like their intentions were really in order to keep us safe. You know, I if I'm not mistaken, we're going back a phase instead of going forward now. We're closing again because we had opened. So, you know, I don't know. Everyone has mixed feelings about Lori and Pritzker. Um, but now we could talk about senators so senators their terms are six years and every state has two senators so doesn't matter um how many people live in the state every state has to have two senators illinois senators are tammy duckworth and dick durbin and their job is they confirm appointments of the president by a majority vote and the senate has a sole power to try impeachments um, and then I believe senators kind of go hand in hand with representatives, yes. but representatives, their terms are two years and the number of representatives differs from state to state. The population of the state is what determines how many representatives they have. Illinois has 18 representatives, um, one of those being Chuy Garcia or Jesus Garcia, known as Chuy Garcia. Um, and like I mentioned with the USPS, I did text the bot and immediately I want to say five minutes or less than five minutes after I received an like automated email from Chewy 
from his office saying, you know, thank you so much for your request. We will get to it when we have the time. But if you need to reach me directly, you can send an email or phone number. Not sure, but, you know, they get back to you and your representatives are really there to hear you out. So I really encourage everyone. This is local government. And just like the president, it's very important to, you know, express your right to vote for the local government, you know, like Carlos said, he couldn't vote in his county. And that's what affects us directly. Like, you know, the, the circle they're about to put at the end of my block, that affects me directly, you know? I think this goes back to the conversation about you have the power to vote, so do so. If you don't feel like your local government is doing an adequate job, Try doing something about it. Voice your opinion. When you have the opportunity to do so, go vote. So that you have someone who believes in what you believe in, who's going to hear you out. I mean- And not to be cliche, but we are youth and we are gonna be running you know, this country in a couple of years, it's just a matter of time. You know, It's really our responsibility. I know that's a cliche, I know that Maybe people are tired of hearing that, especially youth. But we really do have to emphasize because we we can choose a different president at any given time, you know, based on the four year, uh, you know, cycle. But we can't stop time. So, yeah, I mean, you heard before in our in the beginning of the show, there's going to be over four million new eligible voters. That's a ton of people we can make a difference as the youth in this country. You know, I think that was a great first hour. Um, we touched on a lot of subjects, you know, had a lot of great audio. Our guest Carlos, like, it's a lot of things, you know, and we really need to consider all of this and really, really think, research, research on the candidates, do all your research and, you know, educate yourself. So now we'll be going on a short break um, and we'll be back. I gotta carry him. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is Gorilla. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go get the bag. Yeah, yeah, or I'ma get the pad. Yeah, yeah, I'm so cold like, yeah. Yeah, I'm so dull like, yeah. We gon' blow like, yeah. You're listening to WLPN, LP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, and we're broadcasting live from the comfort of our homes. So remember, I'm Adrian. I'm Cynthia. And I'm Cecilia. And this is What's Up, um, the second show of season 14. This is Youth Voting, a 2020 emergency. We are happy to hear to be here with all of you, still remotely, and, you know, talking about so so many important things we spoke about um how to register to vote in illinois what it's like voting when you're away from college the different levels of our government um we heard from first-time voters whether that is people that just turned 18 will be turning 18 or people like carlos that just became citizens and finally will be voting um we also learned about different the different political parties that will be on the ballot. Um, 
And, you know, next up we'll be hearing from different voices, from an alderman, um, from someone with a different political party than the most popular two. Um, and we'll also be talking about how to be respectful when talking to others, you know, with, with different views, those mm -hmm. who don't think like you, um, and how to go about that. Yes. And, you know, Cecilia, you were the one who talked to Byron Sigcho. Who is Byron Sigcho Lopez? Byron Sigcho Lopez is the alderman of the 25th Ward. So that covers areas, I can tell you on the top of my head, Pilsen, Chinatown, part of UIC Village, Little Italy, so many other areas. And I uh, had the opportunity of interning for him last summer, and I had a great time. It was really a moment of development for me, really getting into the political environment and learning a lot more about social justice. It was really a life-changing experience that also helped shape you know, what I want to do with my career. I am pursuing forensic psychology, for those who don't know. And you know, it has to do with the criminal justice system and so much more, definitely social justice. So interviewing him was a great honor just you know, to recollect and catch up. And given you know, the upcoming presidential election of this year, it's you know, good to hear from somebody who is, you know, like we've mentioned, a uh, part of the local government. And we, you know, like you said, Cynthia, this directly correlates to us. It impacts us a lot much more. Um, so I know that Byron is a very passionate person on the topics of gentrification, on social justice. He was a former UIC professor. And, you know, I really enjoyed my time speaking with him. He's a great advocate and he really encourages the youth to do everything they can on their behalf. We are the future. So how about we take a listen to your interview with Byron Sigcho Lopez? Let's go. My name is uh, Byron Sigcho Lopez and um, I'm the... Alderman of the 25th Ward. Can you briefly explain uh, what is your role for the 25th Ward of Chicago as an alderman? So as, uh, as an alderman, I'm, I'm the local representative of uh, the communities that make up the 25th Ward from Pilsen, Chinatown, McKinley Park, Little Italy, Abla Homes, Barbara Jean Wright, uh, West Loop, Chinatown. I uh, represent their communities. I'm their representative in front of the city council. So when they have city matters, um, you know, the neighbors have in terms of zoning decisions, building permits, uh, parking issues, uh, anything that is neighborhood related, park district, schools. I'm the representative and the advocate in front of every city uh, institution from schools to libraries, streets and sanitation matters, construction, you name it. So I'm the representative and I also represent uh, the community uh, among the other 49 aldermen or other women who make up the city council, when we vote on matters for budget situations or legislation, I vote on the behalf of the community. So I try to do my best to make sure that my vote represents the vote of the majority of residents. So my day-to-day -day task, aside of uh, attending city council committee meetings, I am uh, part of at least eight or nine uh, committee member, um, committee meetings, zoning committee, housing committee, transportation committee, human health relationship. I'm also involved in the special task forces. So I'm, I'm a member of the uh, inclusionary housing task force to define the affordable requirement ordinance. You know, ask of developers to set aside uh, a percentage for affordable housing. So I am one of the co-chairs of that. I'm also here in the office, uh, you know, gathering uh, constituency services 
So when people come with applications for permits or uh, when they need city services or issues, you know, in their homes or issues that affect the public safety, any kind of neighborhood related issue, I'm there to make sure that the city uh, is held accountable so that we can solve the issues that they have. How essential or important is it to have an alderman representative? And how does it involve the voters, you know, people's participation in civic duty? In my, in my opinion, it's very important, you know, that we have representatives that uh, represent the majority of the residents in kind of what we want to see in our communities. Uh, I do believe it's important that we have a representation that is democratic, that is based on the values and principles that the majority of residents have. You know, voters choose representatives that, again, are making their priorities, our priorities in city council. So if it's police accountability issues, if there's affordable housing, if it's improvement in uh, education, uh, if there's more funding for youth programming, whatever those issues, those priorities are, um, having representatives that listen to the constituents, listen to the community, and make those priorities a priorities to push in city council is important. Otherwise, uh, we have to see, unfortunately, the issues that we continue to have. Uh, a city council that does not prioritize, you know, the issues that we see, especially in communities of color, black and brown communities, disinvestment, lack of opportunities, having employment, violence, and uh, lack of resources in general. I believe it's important that we have representatives that speak directly on these issues to find solutions and to bring resources uh, instead of the same failed policies of the past. I, I see, you know, way too many youth of color who right now have uh, not only uh, issues in the communities with a lack of opportunities, lack of investment in their own neighborhoods, but also in their schools so that we don't have the opportunities that we want to make sure that they have access to, you know, making sure that they go to college or they have access to maybe a trade. We want to make sure that our, our youth, right, and our, our, our communities are power, have access to these opportunities. And when we don't see that, you know, we see the kind of inequality and the lack of access and the kind of segregation that we have. And uh, I think that we can change that at the extent that we can get people to participate, especially young people. I think young people and people in our community spoke when I was elected, uh, Alderman, after 23 years of corruption, 23 years of ignoring the voice of the people, uh, the youth were critical. Uh, a lot of young people participated, volunteered in my campaign, made phone calls. They continue making phone calls to make sure that I make the right vote. You know, they hold me accountable. We fight for them. I strongly believe on not only organizing on the ground on issues, but also electorally, because all these issues are, are great and important. Developers, corporations, and the super rich, unfortunately, they have the politicians on their pockets. And it's only when we have like, um, you know, people organizing. And I think this moment gives me hope because I see a lot of people, a lot of young people out there, they're protesting, they're asking for changes. And at the extent that we listen and we organize and get better representatives, I think that we'll, we'll move forward. What changes can be applied to facilitate voting and make it available to a wider range of people, particularly those that are underrepresented, such as people of color or, uh, you know, the youth, as we've already mentioned? Uh, I do think that we can get this more exciting uh, voting drive campaign so that, you know, young people um, are, you know, excited to participate. But I think that one of the big obstacles is big money into politics. Uh, if the options that we're given are options that are already vetted by corporations, developers, and billionaires, 
uh, people don't feel naturally excited about choosing from the lesser of two evils. Of course, we need to make a choice. And I think that that's what we need to understand, right? That, you know, what we see right now with Trump, right? Uh, when people don't participate, there are consequences of that, right? When we don't come out and vote. But again, I, it is not about blaming the people for not participating. It is the system who needs to be indicted because we are allowing billionaires and corporations to determine our choices. And of course, people won't see that with good eyes and say, well, you know what? I don't want to participate in this kind of system. You know, I want, diff- I want something different. You know, we need to get big money out of politics, legislation to make sure that uh, elections are not bought out. And then we have maybe a small funding, municipal funding for campaigns so that, you know, we can have regular people, people from our community coming, being candidates and having a good chance to win. That's going to be exciting for people to participate. You know, taking into account uh, recent events that have impacted, you know, not only the state of Illinois, but the entire nation, such as the current pandemic of COVID-19 or the ongoing protests for civic rights and presidential elections coming up this year, how is youth voting voicing the people's genuine concerns and needs in 2020? I believe, you know, wholeheartedly that the youth voice is, is, is being critical Talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, right? I think if you see the participation of young people in the movement has significantly changed the narrative for uh, municipalities and states and cities across the country. I do think that that movement has made sure that this issue is taken seriously. Uh, but it's important that, that, that the youth also get organized to make sure that whoever is not supporting them is not supporting us, I would say. Uh, they said, you know what? If you're not going to support us, there will be consequences, and we will make sure that we have a representative that works with us, because politicians and public officials are supposed to be working for the community, not for private interest groups and and themselves, right? So uh, I strongly believe that the young people can play a fundamental role uh, into making sure that the movement is also translated into policy and legislation. You know, even the, the latest issue about the the statues, right, and, and challenging colonization and challenging white supremacy and challenging genocide, you know, and, and it's like, okay, well, young people are learning their history. Actually, we are saying, okay, this is our history. We want to change that history, right? We want to make sure that this past, this horrible past teaches a lesson on how we need to overcome this, these legacies and this segregation of white supremacy. So I believe that at the extent that we can get young people to be also leaders in our community. Not only grassroots leaders, but also political leaders and public representatives. I do think that we will be have representatives that are really truly public servants and not people who are just enriching themselves or you know serving as puppets for special interest groups. So young people I think right now have clarity, have courage, and that's you know brings optimism to, to people in general. When we have a, a corrupt system, right, where options are already decided before even you know we know it. Of course, people are going to feel, well, why, why even bother to participate, right? But that's, that's the trick, right? That is the, that system wants or expects of us, right? Because that's what, you know, communities of color have low participation rates, right? Because they said, well, look, I mean, those options are not good for us. But, you know, the biggest danger is that we, by not participating, uh, we allowing extreme right-wingers like Trump to be in office and decide for us. So there are consequences on, on that. But however, right, I don't, I don't want to sound, you know, like, like I'm saying, well, you got to do what you got to do. No, I do think that there's a, better, there's a better choice. 
and is taking leadership on our own hands and lead by example and be the agents of change that we want to see in our community. Because like I tell you, like I'm, I'm an immigrant. I, I don't even have my family here like many others. I take it very personal, right? When kids are in cages, when my neighbors are being displaced or they're being evicted, when they lose their home, right? I know how hard they try. I know how hard they work for their families because that's, that's my community, right? That's where I come from. I, I believe that right now, we don't have representatives that understand the reality of our communities or they're bought out by special interest groups who only want people there who are puppets. So uh, I see that people are frustrated because they don't see a, a, a real option. Now, what I say is that don't wait for someone to come and help you. Like I said, look, here in our community, nobody came and help us. We help ourselves. We organize ourselves. We say, you know what? We're tired of this. And, you know, I'm an immigrant. I'm not, I'm a nobody. But the community embraced me like their own and said, yes, we want people who, you know, who want to be public servants. We want people who want to help people. And that's what I'm always forever thankful for communities like Pilsen who have been welcoming to immigrants like myself. This is a very unique, one of very unique communities like Little Village of Pilsen and many others who welcome people like me and embrace us and make us feel equal. And for us, you know, to lose these spaces is a personal thing. So to me, it was clear that nobody was going to come and help us. And every single politician looked the other way when we were being displaced, evicted, discriminated. Some people from our community were already organizing. And I think that's my call to the young people. Don't, don't wait for someone to say, okay, no, you are the leaders. You are our generation. You are our hope. For those of us who are really committed to help our people in our community, my hope is that Let's create the alternative together because it doesn't exist right now. Doesn't mean that it cannot be created. So that was Cecilia's interview with Byron Sicho Lopez. That was a great interview. I think, you know, he talks about Pilsen being this great community and it makes me think of what Carlos said that, you know, he never really, I mean, obviously he missed home, but he found home in Pilsen, you know? Yes, it's, it honestly spoke volumes to me. I mean, I went to, I grew up in Little Village, but I had a lot of family in Pilsen. So I think it's fair to say that I, I kind of grew up in Pilsen as a child as well. But I definitely spent most of my teenage years once I went to Benito Juarez Community Academy in Pilsen. Um, so, you know, I know the community, you know, very well. And I can say I've lived through so much with the rest of the community in terms of you know, overcoming gentrification, finding ways to just latch on to the little financial support we have and trying to make a living, uh, trying to fight for our, you know, families and so on. So that's something he really touches upon. And, you know, bringing it back to this, it's, you know, this recurring topic or theme of, you know, what it means to genuinely be a community. And for, you can say that Pilsen is this sort of like area for those people who feel almost outcasted or better said excluded in the United States. Um, and that being, you know, the immigrant community. He does come from the immigrant community and he really is a role model uh, for me personally because he shows, you know, what exactly, how much you can do, you know, growing up and coming from the place that you are from, you know, having maybe scraps and just scraps you know, you can still build yourself up to be so much and it's it's really inspiring. So it definitely is a call to action to the upcoming youth who are, 
interested in the political field, who are interested in law enforcement and government work, um, because we do need to see more people of color, um, you know, out yeah. there. I think there's so many limits to who can run and who can't. And a lot of that relies on financial stability or how much, how much, you know, how economically rich you are, you know, or powerful. Um, and it shouldn't be that way. So that's something he really emphasizes on in this interview. And, you know, it's our job to, you know, really continue the progress, continue growing and showing que si se puede. And I think it's amazing just to see people who look like us in office to hold these positions of power. Because I know when I was younger, most of the time I would see, you know, like old white guys in office. And that's what I thought, you know, the normal person who was in office looked like. But as I got older, I saw more people who looked like me holding these positions of power and, you know, leading people in the communities and in higher positions of power, leading more people. And I think that's amazing. And I, I kind of felt more motivated to, you know, keep going and keep being more successful because I saw people who look like me get pretty far in life. Representation matters so yes. much. I feel like, you know, like you said, in office, anywhere really, like even ourselves, you know, being Latinos, being youth, having this voice, being, you know, broadcasting on Lumpen, we are still a voice and we're using our voice and it's so important because representation matters so much, you know? I have a, my nephew turns four in about a week and I want him to grow up seeing people that look like him, you know? People that are bilingual, people that, you know, identify as Latino, whether that's on TV, on radio, on the news, in important positions, like you said. So, you know, I think you, you really brought up the fact that representation really does matter. It does. And that goes racially, ethnically, and politically as well. Um, so this is a discussion I really wanted to feature on this show. Um, which is on the topic of accountability versus inclusivity. And, you know, for that, I think my inspiration really came from my own college campus, uh, the University of Illinois at Chicago. So as I previously mentioned, we are predominantly leftist. We are uh, mainly uh, liberal. Um, so a lot of Democrats, for sure. Um, but I do recall one instance where one of my friends he is also liberal, but he brought up a very great point. And he's a, he's a history major. And he told me, well, he asked me, he's like, well, do you think maybe we're accountable for the lack of representation because we fail to even listen or consider people who have opposing opinions to us? And, you know, I was like, you raise an excellent point. Because I can so, I think maybe when I was younger, I could have so easily shut down somebody else who I was like, no, that's not right. Maybe they weren't right. You know, maybe they were being racist, sexist, and so on, you know, or completely inappropriate and prejudiced. But is it really an effective conversation or an effective outcome if I just shut that person down and don't listen and don't take that time to correct him if that's what needs to be done, or at least share my opinion, what I think contrasts his opinion or her opinion. Um, 
or their opinion. And, you know, we, we really do need to consider that. So first off, I just wanted to ask, what is the importance of political diversity, do you think? I feel like it's very important. I feel like it's a good teaching moment and a good learning moment. You never know what you can teach someone and you never know what you can learn from that person too. You might be wrong that whole time, like what you thought might've been wrong, or you might be able to teach someone who, you know, isn't in the right mindset at the time. They, they like, they don't really know completely what they're talking about. So you'll be able to teach them and possibly change their mind about what they think. I think it's also very important because, you know, I'm not sure who just said this, but what if they're not wrong? You know, I've had multiple conversations with people in college and whether it's about politics, whether it's about religion, and they'll sit there and tell me you're wrong. And I'm like, no, I'm not wrong. And you're not wrong. Our beliefs just are not the same. We just do not believe the same thing. So how can you, with an opposing belief, tell me my belief is wrong? You know, I'm not here telling you well, your belief is wrong because you believe in this, this, and this. I'm just telling you, you know what? I respect your belief. It's different than mine, but I'm going to speak to you about my belief, you know, educate you about mine, and I'm willing to learn about yours. But, you know, I think there's also a line between telling people that what they believe in is completely wrong. Yeah. And, you know, Mm. taking into account recent trends, you know, cancel culture, doxing, you know, and so on. How are we as a social media community contributing to suppressing political voices? Well, social media is, I don't know, as much as I love it and as much as it's so amazing for a variety of things, you know, even us, our internship is completely virtual this summer. So even promoting everything, whether it's articles or the shows like today, it's all done through social media, but it can also be very harmful and like you said when someone portrays a different view people are so quick to like oh they're canceled like what if we listen to them you know what if we accept them as a person with their differences and you bring up a good point um recently one of my professors he shared with me that they were having a meeting and there was there's this whole zoom bombing thing um and these why people came up and they just started using racist slurs, uh, calling them things. And, you know, keep in mind, my professor is white. Um, so, you know, they just knew somehow like that they knew what the meeting was or so on, whatever uh, security breaches or measures weren't taken. It was still highlighting how messed up, you know, social media can get, you know, it is a tool and it is, you know, a platform for empowerment but um we have to keep in mind that we can't just can't be hateful towards each other because that's how we miscommunicate and that's how we have that leads to misunderstandings and we just don't get anywhere with that so i know that and maybe you guys have heard this but i know my mom would tell me a lot of the times hay que escuchar antes de hablar oh hay que aprender a escuchar which means you know like we have to learn to listen and sometimes we have to listen before we talk. Um, and I think that's a good and proactive approach to these you know, things, um, whether you're experiencing um, a sort of attack. Sometimes they just want a reaction and sometimes it's not worth it, but sometimes it is. And um, 
how can we give a reaction while being proactive about it? You know, not it, it's definitely okay to be emotionally invested, but how can we also be logical and proactive about it? I mean, I feel like, you know, a lot of problems deal with a lack of communication. I mean, we're going to talk about this later in the show with our following interview, but it's, it's, it's all down to a big lack of communication amongst communities, amongst people who have opposing views. Like you said, a lot of people are really quick to just shut them down without really listening to them. And I don't know, it's, you might learn a thing or two, or you might teach them something. You might be able to change their views. They might be able to change your views. It's and, both, really. Yeah. And, you know, just being able to listen is a good skill to have, particularly in a time where there's a whole lot of different views about different topics. And, you know, it's so easy to hide behind a screen, but that can only go on for so long. And um, we will get through this. I have faith, you know, this pandemic, the current situations, our current lifestyle. Um, so, you know, we're human beings. We're, we also rely on social interaction. And it, it's important to listen. It's important to never shut down any room for improvement. So with that being said, where do we draw the line between different political views versus views that go against human rights? I mean, I think there's certain topics, you know, you shouldn't touch about, there shouldn't be a question about it. You know, giving people basic human rights is, shouldn't even really be a question. Take for example, you know, having like children in cages in immigration detention centers it shouldn't be a question that, you know, release them, treat them like human beings because they are people. They may not have a legal immigration status, but that doesn't mean that we should treat them like less in this country. Yes, you know, I think anything relating to the exposure of violence or even uh, fatal outcomes to any human being, regardless of background, whatever, you know, to whatever extent, that's something that we should always call out and we should always address it. Um, but, you know, again, just understanding that this is a country of political diversity. We have the right, thankfully, to, you know, speak our minds and have these discussions. And with that, we should take really a, a good advantage of it and help each other grow, help educate each other and, you know, be better than, you know, our history. You know, that goes for America overall. Yeah. And I feel like that is a good note to end on um, before we go to promos. So we'll be right back in a little bit for the next half hour of our show. Are you sick of being stuck at home and not being able to go out? Tired of being sick, your friends being sick, and everybody and their grandma sneezing on your face? Well, do I have some tricks to escape the coronavirus? Porque yo sí sé que no se bañan, pero whatever. Primero, wash your hands. Invented in 28,000 BC or something like that, soap is a crucial part of everybody's hygiene. 
I know it's inaccessible. I know, I know. You can only get it at like Sam's, Walmart, Target, and like three million other stores. But have you tried ordering it online? Anyways, mix that bad boy up with some water and lather it on your hands for 20 seconds or however long you know it takes you to wrap anaconda and boom, you can say bye-bye to all the viruses on your hands. Ooh. Are you lazy and need something more convenient? Well, use hand sanitizer. Something is always better than nothing. And we need to be as clean as possible, cause <laughs> you're nasty. Which takes me to my next very important point. Always keep your hands away from your eyes, mouth, and face. Not only should you already have been doing that, but you need to make sure that if anything is on your hands, Yes, I'm talking about you, Miss Rona, that we're washing it off before it goes all over our face, then our mouth, then our throat, and ugh. You know, then you got a zuki and boo-boo, and we ain't got time for all of that. And finally, the most imperative to slowing and stopping the spread of La Rona is to stay at home. You heard me, to stay home. Every person needs to self-quarantine if possible because one infected person creates a domino effect of infection. We all know there isn't enough hospital beds and ventilators in the US for all of us. And I know it must suck to not be able to hit the club or eat brunch with friends, but one person makes a difference. We can't just wait hasta que fulanita se muera. We all need to be here for one another and look out for each other. So please stay inside, stay healthy, and stay inside, period. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from the comfort of none other than our homes. And this is What's Up Youth Voting a 2020 Emergency. Welcome to our last half hour. And now I'd actually like to introduce Isaac, who was a teen that we interviewed a few days ago. And we had the opportunity to speak to him. He's an amazing teen, a young entrepreneur, and a business owner. And we discussed politics and what he thinks about, you know, the politics in this country, the candidates, and the way that we as people discuss our political situations. And that definitely was an interesting conversation because a lot of the views that he has aren't necessarily just the path of one democratic party. He belongs to a democratic party that isn't, you know, one of the traditional ones. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He is a libertarian. And now I think we can take a listen to the interview that we had with him. Can you start by giving us your name, your age, and then your occupation? Yeah. So hello to everybody. My name is uh, Isaac Medina. I'm uh, 18 years old and my patient, I'm a, uh, co-founder and software engineer in my own tech startup. And can you tell us what you think is the importance of voting as a civic duty? Okay, so voting in general is a really broad topic. Specifically speaking, when it comes to voting, I think is is super important when it comes to democracy in our country. You know, specifically, let's say, let's talk about first in our community. Let's say I'm from Little Village. So 
when it comes to voting. I think it's very important when it comes to voting, choosing who you want to vote for as your alder person or mayor. I think that's extremely important because that person or that woman or, or that man that is in office represents you as a community. You know, same thing when it comes to uh, governors, when it comes to to mayors, when it comes to the president. So I think it's super important. I think it shows where you stand as a community. I think that you touch a subject that I'm also going to speak on in the show, um, how like voting is important in general, like you said, on the local level, where it impacts you directly. So I'm really glad you brought that up. So like you said, you're 18. So do you intend to vote this year? Yes, I do want to vote. I'm looking to vote. Are you registered to vote or? Yes, I am. I registered when I was 17. Do any of your beliefs align to a specific political party that you support? So my political party is is, is very complex. I would say it really depends on who and, and what they're advocating for. Parties over time change, the people who are in it change. You know, there's a example. There's this myth that a lot of schools teach, a lot of colleges teach that the party switched, the great switch that happened in Congress, which is not true. You know, in the end of the day, Democrats were the ones who were for slavery. Republicans were the ones who freed the slaves. Democrats did Jim Crow law and redlining. Republicans removed that. Today, in today and era, we see that uh, Democrats, all they care about is the dead city policy. And Republicans are, are huge hypocrites. They talk about the free market. They don't care about the free market. Uh, Trump just bailed out a bunch of companies, which I think is horrible. But Democrats claim to be sold for minorities when in reality, they don't do anything for minorities. Joe Biden said a few days ago that if, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Obama deported 3 million people. But over here, Trump is doing things just for his political gain. So I think both sides are very hypocritical. Me, politically, politically I'm libertarian, but uh, uh, socially, I'm conservative. In this case, I would vote for Dr. Argo. The Libertarian Party. Would you say that your views have created some type of controversy? Yes, I, I would say so. I think the biggest issue that is facing America is not really what liberals and conservatives and libertarians talk about. I think the biggest, one of the biggest issues that faces America is that we don't know how to have conversations. It's crazy because you sit down with a liberal as a conservative or as a libertarian, you tell them that socialism is wrong or that, for example, you don't believe in white privilege, just an example. And the first thing that happens is they try to cancel you. They try to say, oh, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're, you're a fascist. You know, there's there's uh, bad people and radical people like Antifa, and then we have people who are radical on the right, like the KKK. So that's the biggest issue, in my opinion, that is that that, that is facing you know the political spectrum when it comes to, to being able to sit down and actually talk. You know, the majority of the best conversations that I have is with people I disagree with. Because at the end of the day, he, he or she could change my mind and I could change his mind. That's the point of it. A segment that really opened my mind when it came to debating and, and opening minds was Steven Crowder changed my mind. He would sit down and unedited debates, debates, and he would inform, he would get informed. I think that uh, speaking politically and, and being able to have a, a voice is very, very important. How do you think or how do you believe that we can be more respectful <clears throat> towards each other, like you said, with different views? Different views just don't bash them for what they believe in. Don't cancel them on Twitter when they have an opinion. The freedom of speech is something really, really amazing in the United States of America. Many countries wish to have that. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe the not a Nazi. Let's say let's talk for a Nazi, for example, a neo-Nazi, right? A white supremacist. He has or she has a freedom of speech to say whatever the hell they want. Is it okay? No. Is it morally, morally or ethically correct? No, it's not. But the only way that we shut those people down is by not giving them attention. 
by us trying to shut them down and cancel them on Twitter, we're giving them the, the light that they want. And that's not okay. Just let them say whatever the hell they want to say and just let them go down by in their own route. You know, in the end of the day, we know that as, as people who have an ethical, moral value that, you know, being a white supremacist in this example is is wrong. And, and we should allow everybody to do that. We shouldn't infringe no, over nobody's amendments or constitutional rights. Um, and how would you say that you kind of manage, like, basically what you just told us through social media and like those difficult conversations? I'm just tolerant to people. I mean, people tend to, for example, one time I went to a... Uh, to a Trump rally, right? And I wasn't on Trump's side or on or against Trump. I was just observing. You know, that was during my time that I wanted to get into politics. So I was I was I was observing and I saw how like how, how much they could get into a party so much that they become so that that becomes their, their life, you know? Like for example, if you were to go to the liberal side and you would tell them, "Hey, um, I'm a Trump supporter." They'll literally kick you out and make you feel like the worst person ever. But if you were to go to the as a liberal to the right side and you talk to them, they make you feel bad too. It's, it's in the same aisle. So the way that I that I'm able to do that is I, I just be respect, respectful. I mean, if somebody tries to bash me, I'll just say, okay, fine. We don't, I'm not going to have a, a conversation with you because you're bashing me. We'll have a conversation once you're ready to talk it out. Other than that, we're not going to continue because I, I think that, that the most important part is just respecting the choice. How do you think people can be more prepared to have these difficult conversations about politics, specifically when you have like opposing views? Be ready. Be ready of, of what you believe in. A lot of people, I think that the people who are able to, and, and for them to be able to be prepared before a debate or a discussion or, a, or a, an argument, whatever it might be, is that first off, the, the root of everything, the basis of everything, the structure should be that you know exactly what you believe in and why. You know, like for example, you can't say, oh, I'm, cons I'm conservative and I'm pro-life because it's against my religion, right? You can't use that as an argument against somebody because now you're doing an argument of authority. Maybe that person doesn't believe in your religion, but you do. So you can't give that argument. So in order for you to form a good argument, you're supposed to have a logical argument, factual, based on stats. And if those stats are wrong and, and, and they give you counter stats, you have to accept and take the, the, the L that you were wrong or that you were just wrong and move forward with that. You know, majority of times, a lot of people who get into politics are not right all the time. Somebody who I follow a lot that I like their debating tactics is uh, Ben Shapiro. He's a conservative uh, and he's a Jew. He's been called a white supremacist, a Nazi, being a Jew, which is really funny. His tactics is always that he's he first fact checks everything. He talks facts. He doesn't talk feelings. There's somebody says this all the time. There's no such thing as your truth, but your truth, but the truth. You know, being able to differentiate between the truth and your truth. And what do you feel is the importance of youth being more involved in politics? I know you and me are around the same age and Cynthia is as well. So how do you think that, how important do you think it is for people around our age to become more engaged in politics? Do research. I think that's very important. A way that they could get into it is, and, and this may be a, a long conversation for a different time, probably might have. I remember when I was in high school, I was in sociology class, right? And they would teach us about there's more than the gen the, the gender is a social construct that male roles and, and women roles are social constructs. They were teaching us all these these viewpoints, and, and our sociology teacher would tell us, "I'm gonna make you a free thinker." But in the end of the day, from what I noticed from this sociology class, is that they were indoctrinating us with liberal ideologies rather than making us free thinkers. Schools are supposed to make you and teach you how to think, but not what to think. 
And, and that's the problem with a lot of schools that we have in blue states and red states. It's most likely for students and, and young people to vote Democrat in Chicago than people in Texas that is a red state to vote Democrat over there. They're most likely to vote Republican because it's school indoctrination. And I think that that goes all the way down to that. I don't think it's really of the, of the person. The person has a duty to make his research, to do his research, understand why they believe in what they believe in, but also comes down to, you know, where they come from, which is school. The, the majority of our teenager lives is in school. It's 60, 70% of it is in school. So in a way to be more involved in the community is to, to just inform yourself, you by yourself. In high school or in any other time in general, have you had backlash because of your political views? No, because I know, because I know, I know how to, to stop that. I, I know how to uh, limit that. There's a lot of opinions that I don't say on social media because I know I'm going to get a lot of backlash. And that's, and that's because of the intolerance that exists on the left. That, that, and that's the truth. There's a lot of intolerance that exists on the left. And if you were to, for example, I believe in the free market, right? I believe that, that taxation is theft. I don't believe in socialism, right, as an example. I don't, I, don't, I don't think socialism would ever work. I don't think Bernie Sanders was a good, a good candidate because I feel like he was going to mess up the economy. Because I'm a libertarian, as a libertarian, I think that if you put your time into working, you should get all of your paycheck without the government telling you, give me your money. But if I were to say that, I would, when I, I, I remember I saying that in my school once and they would, and they would label me as, a, as, as, a, as all right, just for saying that. When I just said, I don't believe in socialism. The, the issue is, is not about really talking about it. It's more about, you know, being tolerant too. So in schools, you know, a lot of backlash at times because I would debate my sociology teacher at times, but not as much as many other people ha uh, that, that align with me have, have gone. So like with that being said, what do you feel that people need to understand maybe about you or about others who think the same? That just because the media or because you, the media says that people who support Trump or support the Libertarian Party or support conservative values, are just because the media says they're bad people, they're not bad people. Yes, there's all right. Like, let me, I don't know how your political ideologies, but I'm sure that if, that whether you guys are liberal or not, I could assure you guys, you guys will never become part of Antifa and, and burn cars up or loot it or, or steal. So why would they label that on, on, on us too? Saying as if we're all right, as if we believe that white people are better or that Mexicans are, are less or Hispanics are less or minorities are less. There's a lot of misinterpretation caused by the, the, the mainstream media, caused by, by people with themselves, by leftists who are intolerant. And so you said that you've received a little bit of like uh, backlash at times or people who have misinterpreted your views, calling you all right. So are there any communities that you belong to where they're a bit more accepting or tolerant of your views? Not necessarily. No, no, we, there, there's not really a community. Look, it, it, it's very like, for example, if I were to, it comes down to a community level. It comes down to like a local community level. If I were to be in high school and I were to say, hey, I want to I want to organize a protest for Black Lives Matter. The teachers, the, the faculty of the school is going to support me right away. Right. But if I were if I were to to tell them, hey, can I do a uh, a protest on pro life, because I'm pro life, right there, there's going to be a conflict. The faculty teachers are going to be like, no, it's going to create a conflict because the majority of students here are more left leaning, and it's going to create a conflict. I could assure you 100% that the aldermen will show more more support for a, a Black Lives Matter movement than a pro life movement. 
regardless of, of the opinion you have for it. I mean, I think the, the support should be mutual, it should be balanced because it's the freedom of speech. The constitution is the greatest document ever written for, for countries because it gives us that liberty to do it. But it's just, it depends on the local, uh, on the local level. I wouldn't feel safe, me particularly, to start a group like that because I feel like I would get a lot of backlash. There's not really a community. It's more like me personally just talking about it and just having conversations. And if I get to to get people to realize that you don't have to be a minority, you don't have to be a minority voting for Democrat the rest of your life, then then I did my job. Can you elaborate on that last part a little bit? You said, what was that phrase you said? Yeah, so... There's always this, thing. for example, I have a black friend who's from Florida. He's a he's a huge Trump supporter. His idea of Trump is just huge. I, I think it's kind of ridiculous because I do also believe that Trump is an idiot. But anyways, he his his support for Trump is so big. But they call him an Uncle Tom. They call him a, a house N-word because he, he, he doesn't support the Democrat Party. Whenever, for example, somebody comes out saying, oh, I'm a Trump supporter, or I'm not a Democrat, I'm a libertarian, and they oppose Democrat parties, they say, like they say in Spanish, look, how can you uh, support not Democrats, pero tienes el nopal en la frente? So it, they come with these racial racial slurs because you don't align with what society or community has been led to believe for many years, you know, that we're supposed to be voting Democrat. Democrats pander to us so much. They do. Like, honestly, nobody, I'm just going to give an example. If Trump would have said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. He would have gotten more media backlash and liberals would have protested that. But when Joe Biden did it, nobody cared. Literally nobody cared. It was shut down by the media. Nobody talked. A huge uh, person who's, who's very big into our eyes as, as Hispanic people and Latinos is Cesar Chavez, the guy who uh, did the, the protests against the unjust uh, corporations that uh, would abuse their, their power pretty much. Like they would make them work for little, really minimum wages and, and, and bad living stuff. He was very Republican. He was very Republican. He was extremely Republican. He wouldn't allow people to cross the border. He would say, if you're going to come and cross the border, come, do it the legal way. But in schools, they don't talk about that. They just talk about what he fought for, which was against the corporate greed, which aligns with socialism and, and democratic policies. But they don't talk about the, the, the policies that he believed in when it comes to immigration, which are very Republican. You know, when we're growing up, we start um, in schools, they start to indoctrinate us and tell us that, you know, you're supposed to vote Democrat. And when you come out and say, you know what, I'm not Democrat, I'm libertarian or Republican, I'm going to start bashing you. And I've seen that a lot of times. So you talked a lot about, like, you know, people bashing each other over their views. How can we concentrate our efforts a bit more on civic engagement and respecting each other's political views? Something that I that I wanted to do before I left high school was uh, I wanted to... Uh, do uh, debates, public debates with students. So I wanted to allow teachers and be open-minded to start conservative clubs, libertarian clubs, liberal clubs, feminist clubs. All of these clubs that have these ideologies, create them because that's how ideas are passed around. That's being tolerant to ideas. And with those clubs, I, I wanted to create like a, like, like an organization and I really an organization after school program where the leaders of these teams or these clubs were able to be on stage and debate in, in a formal way, you know, being able to debate with a moderator and being able to change ideas. I think that's really good. 
Um, I seen that with Politicon. I don't know if you guys have heard of Politicon. Uh, there's like, for example, people from the Young Turks, which is a very liberal uh, media outlet, and uh, Turning Point USA, run by Charlie Kirk, conservative, a conservative person. Uh, that's what Politicon does. He invites liberals and, and conservatives, and then debate. So I think that's something that we should do in this, and you know, specifically in, in my community, I think that's something we should do. It would bring a lot of awareness to the political spectrum. And finally, can you tell our audience once more what's the importance of voting? The importance of uh, voting specifically on the youth is, is very important because one, it's a constitutional right. As a libertarian, I believe that the government shouldn't step over the constitution at all. The constitution is, is what, what gives the right. If the constitution steps over that, then they become a, a, a dictatorship. They become a, a tyrant. That's why the second amendment was written for. That's why I think it's very important because it shows the power that the citizens have against the bigger, which is the government. I've always said this, and I'm going to say it forever. Big government sucks. The more government we give to the people, the more we rely on them. The more we rely on them, the, the more we become their puppets. And they're able to manipulate us. Like it happened in Venezuela, like it happened in Cuba, like it happens in China, like it happened in, in, uh, in North Korea, like it happened in the, in the Soviet Union when they were communists. That's the importance of it, because it, it not only is in a political way, but also as a, as a civic duty, it, may, it makes teenagers aware of what's going on in the world. Is there anything else you'd like to add, whether it's to that question or to anything else that we asked? Or No, not really. I mean, I was just here for the questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so, again, so much. Yeah, again, whenever you guys are, are willing to, you know, uh, yeah. invite me again, I'm, I'm always open-minded. I, I think that, um, you know, discussion and being able to, you know, say your ideas creates a huge, huge benefit for everybody. It creates more tolerance. It creates better points of views. And, and honestly, like, uh, I think that, that the way that the United States of America is going to progress generally is if liberals get united and understand what America really is about. That's what I believe. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So that was our interview with Isaac Medina, a teen who... You, as you heard, he's a libertarian. And so for those who don't know what a libertarian is, it's someone who doesn't believe in big government or a lot of government intervention. It's more about the people themselves and what they believe in. A more people-led government, I guess, is the way that I could put it. And I didn't was- know what, sorry. Oh, it's okay. Go ahead. I did not know what a libertarian was until that day. So thank you for explaining that as well. (laughs) And I don't know, he said tolerance a lot. So I don't know if you'd like to explain a little bit what it means in this case, Cynthia. Yeah, so the literal definition of tolerance when looked up, it's a noun. And it is the ability or willingness to tolerate something. In particular, the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with, you know? So it would be kind of um, me putting up with um, someone else's political views that are different from my own. Really just putting up with it and knowing how to deal with it, I guess, is a way that you could explain it. And well, you, I know you go to school in Iowa, a very predominantly red state. So do you feel that you have to kind of learn to do this a lot in that environment? Definitely. I think not only with political views, but I think just everyone's different views in general. You know, Um, I need to tolerate. I am a woman of color. I am a minority. I am 
yeah, I'm from out of state. I get asked all the time where I'm from because I pronounce my last name in Spanish, you know? Um, and there's little things that you need to learn how to tolerate in order to really navigate kind of, I guess, the system. And like you said, my school is a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. Institutions not made for us, um, us being brown people, I guess you could say. Um, but, you know, we are there, we're present, and we're making them our own because I can. <laughs> yes. And I think it's just important, you know, going out into the world, you're going to face people who have opinions that are way different from yours, drastically different from what you believe in. So I think it's just important to learn to have those conversations where, you know, you're not just going to shut someone down um, just because they have different views from you. You have to learn to communicate with those people. Yeah, and I hope this is very also kind of useful for you, Adrian, because I know you're also leaving for college very soon. Um, I hope you're excited. But yes. it is something that whether in the classroom, whether, you know, in a random conversation in the cafeteria, tolerance, you need to know how to be tolerant. Mm -hmm. And it's important to be accepting as well. I mean, I think that also kind of plays in with this context, especially with political diversity. And, you know, sometimes I don't understand why people take so much of like this concept of identity, racially or ethnically speaking, into our political views. Um, and I mean that in like a situation or a context where it's not relevant to the conversation. Um, but there's also, you know, uh, the side that we do need to acknowledge we are uh, treated differently, you know, not that we're different per se in the sense that we're like less than one another, but for sure, you know, like I would say that we have to learn to separate things, but also acknowledge what we are going through and what different experiences we have. So on a college uh, setting, I definitely understand that. Yeah. All right. Um, so, you know, today we talked about a lot of things uh, from letting Illinois residents know how easy it is to register to vote in our state, um, along with what you need to listening to people that can't vote, um, people who are voting for the very first time, and those who, you know, have different political parties from the traditional ones. And no one is necessarily right. We all just need to learn to be respectful and tolerate each other's views when they don't align with those of other people. And you have to remember to register to vote if you haven't done so yet. Just stay safe and stay home if you don't need to go out and wear your face mask. So this was What's Up Youth Voting, a 2020 emergency. My name is Cynthia. I'm Adrian. And I'm Cecilia. And behind the scenes on production, Emmanuel Ramirez and the rest of the What's Up team. Thank you so much to the team and thank you to all the listeners. And see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Vote. Hello. It's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delicious, funny, breathtaking, wee-snatching, Liddy Poppin' production.
If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up, again. In the meantime, we'll be twerking on our next one. Here in Lumpkin Radio. So stay tuned for our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delicious, funny, breathtaking, weave-snatching, highly amazing production. I hope that you were informed about the YOLO-licious parts of life and get your bag every Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at YOLOKALI, on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at YOLOKALI, or visit at YOLOKALI.org for more. We are the robots. We are the robots.